Last week, uh, we started a, a brand new series here at Big Valley Grace on the book of Ephesians. And we kicked it off by looking at uh, four just huge theological truths. Okay, these are, are biblical truths, and, and these are works of the Father. Number one, we looked at uh, the fact that the Father has blessed you, the Father has loved you, the Father has chosen you, the Father has adopted you. And uh, literally, you, you could spend, a preacher could spend, <laughs> uh, I could spend the next year, 52 weeks, just preaching on, on just these four things. Unbelievable truths that we find in Scripture. And verse 5 tells us why the Father did all these things for us. It says this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Beloved, the Father did all these things for you because it brought him pleasure. It brought him pleasure to do those things for, for you. Now this brings me to today's uh, uh, text, okay? Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, they'll come up on the jumbotrons. I think they're in your, 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 your little notes and all that kind of stuff. And I want to begin reading at verse 7. He, that's God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. He has showered his kindness on us. Along with all wisdom and understanding, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, the plan to fulfill his own good pleasure and this is the plan. The right time, you will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles here at Big Valley Grace have also heard the truth, the truth, the, the, the good news that God saves you. Now like last week, these verses are just jam-packed with some great, deep theological truth, biblical truth, and there's no way I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover it all. But I do want to give you uh, three more things that God has given you. And they're every bit as weighty as the ones that we looked at last week. And if you weren't here, uh, go online, watch it for free, or listen to it for free, or download our, our Big Valley app. It's free. You can watch any sermon. You can watch live. Right now, we have hundreds of people that watch live. And watch last week's sermon, or listen to last week's message, or if you want to blow two bucks or three bucks or whatever it is out in the resource center, you can do that and, and, and buy the DVD or the, or the CD. But uh, the, the, these are every bit as weighty as the, the truths that we looked at last weekend. Now, now let me uh, quickly say this. The more you understand these truths, the ones we looked at last week, the ones we're going to look at now, the more joy you're going to have in your life. The more you understand these truths, the more you're going to feel loved by God, the more meaningful or significant your life's going to be the more capable you'll feel about doing the things that God wants you to do, the more you understand these truths, the greater your influence for Jesus Christ will, will, will be. 
Beloved, knowing and understanding these truths are the things that will help you live a victorious Christian life, a a life full of power, a life that honors God, a, a life where the fruit of the Spirit is just hanging off your life. And the reason this is true is because these truths are the things that feed your inner man. They're the things that keep your inner man alive and well, strong and healthy and alive. You see, we have the flesh. I just talked about that a little bit ago. This is the headquarters of sin. It's crummy. As I said, Paul said, no good dwells in it. But those of us that know Christ, we have the Spirit of God in us. And it's these truths that really feed the inner man, the new man uh, within us. So anyway, let's look at number one, okay? Number one, the Father sent Jesus to purchase your freedom from sin and death. That's number one. Verse seven says, he, that's God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of of his son and he forgave our sins. He has showered us with his kindness. Now to fully understand what God is saying here, I've gotta unpack a few things, okay? I think it's possible to uh, um, know the Lord, give your life to Christ and and really not understand the, the, the layers that go along with this. In Genesis chapter one, it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness. And it's in Genesis chapter one, literally right out of the gate, where we see the the Trinity. God said, let us make man in our likeness. Well, who's the our? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the our there, uh, O-U-R. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the tame animals, over the earth, and over all the crawling animals that are on there. So God created human beings in his image. And I tell you this all the time, and it's important, that we uh, as human beings are made in the very image of God, and that's what makes us special. Human beings are different than all the other things that God created. He created everything. But we're unique, we're special, we're created in his image. image. Uh, Cows aren't created in the image of God. Uh, A caterpillar isn't created in the image of God. Uh, A crow isn't created in the image of God. As much as I love my two dogs, uh, Rocco and Zoe, they're, they're created by God, but they weren't created in the very image of God. James chapter one says, and we, that's human beings, out of all creation, out of all the things that God created became his prized possession. Now when you get to Genesis chapter three, everything changes because it's in Genesis chapter three where Adam and Eve disobey God. They, they sin and that brought sin into the world. Romans chapter five says when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Genesis chapter three is kind of the pivotal moment, if you will, Uh, of history, in my opinion. Genesis chapters one and two, you get to see what God wanted the world to be like. You see what his heart was. It's when you get to Genesis chapter three and you see the first two human beings blowing God off, disobeying God, that everything changed. Everything. Sin was now a part of the world. Romans chapter three says, For everyone has sinned, we all 
have fallen short of God's glorious standard. It's one of the things we all have in common in here is that we've all sinned. We're, we're different ages. You know, we, we all have different amounts of money in our bank accounts. We all live in different neighborhoods. Some are single, some are married, some are grandparents. But the one thing we all have in common is that we're all sinful. And the Bible makes that crystal clear. Isaiah, the great prophet, said all of us like sheep have, have strayed away. We left God's past to follow our own. In other words, we, we were just like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve said, God, I don't want to follow your path. I don't want to do what you have to say. I'm going to do my own thing. I got my own path I want to follow. And we've all done that, every one of us. Proverbs says, who can say I've kept my heart pure and I'm clean and without sin? And the answer is nobody. Sin causes us to think crummy thoughts and do crummy things. We were made in the image of God, but Adam's sin marred that image. Sin broke the beautiful relationship we had with God. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said. He said, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? And the answer is no. Can a leopard take away his spots? No. Neither can you start doing good, for you've always done what is evil. You see, the message of the Bible is that... Um, we're all evil, some are just more evil than others. The world will tell you we're all good, some of you are just better than others, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says we've all sinned, we're all evil, it's just that some people are way more evil than others. Just open up your newspaper on any given day and you can just see how evil people are in our little town, in our county, in our state, in our nation, in the world, e e just unbelievable evil. And like I said, not all of us are, you know, Charlie Manson, but we've all thought crummy things and done crummy things, things that have caused us to feel guilt, all that kind of stuff. It's just a part of your DNA. Now, Romans chapter six tells us the consequence of sin. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Sin, disobeying God, brings with it a, a consequence, the, the, the death penalty. We, we die physically. It's the reason why human beings die is because of sin. But more, way more weighty than dying physically is we, we, we die spiritually. Sin caused us to have a problem with the Father. In fact, some of you in this room right now, some of you watching on the internet right now, the problem runs so deep, you don't even believe in God anymore. That's how, that's how deep sin is cut into your life. For some of you, it's been for generations, right? I mean, your parents didn't believe in God or Jesus, and your grandparents didn't believe in God or Jesus, right? You can't even think of a generation where anybody in your family even believed in Jesus. Listen, heaven's a, a, a perfect place. Perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, no sin, no mistakes, no evil, no errors. It's absolutely perfect in every way that you can think of, which means you gotta be perfect to get in. Otherwise, if God let you in or me in with all of our sin and all of our junk, then heaven wouldn't be perfect anymore, would it? 
In fact, it'd take about 10 minutes for heaven to be just as messed up as earth is. So we all have a problem. Our sin is just so messed up everything. No, nobody's going to get into heaven because none of us are perfect. We've all messed up. We're all sinful. Now, now Job asked maybe the most important question anybody could ever ask. He said this in, in Job chapter 9, how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? In other words, Job is saying, God, because you're so great and wonderful and so powerful and so awesome and holy, how can I ever be right with you again? How can I ever have a relationship with you again? Job asks a great question. Can sinful man ever have a relationship with the one true living, you know, holy God uh, again? And the answer is yes. Yes, it's absolutely possible because of the unbelievable kindness of God that he showed by sending Jesus Christ to shed his blood for our sins that we might be forgiven. Once again, look at verse 7 of our text. He, that's God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom, how? With the blood of his son and forgave us of our, uh, our sins. He has showered his kindness on it, on us. Beloved, God made it possible for you to have all your sins forgiven by sending his son Jesus to purchase our freedom from sin. And we're gonna celebrate that in just a, a little bit here at the end of this message. Now, I want you to understand something super important, okay? You're not saved because of the life of Jesus. You're not saved because of the teachings of Jesus. You're not saved because of the example of Jesus. You're saved because of the blood of Jesus. It wasn't enough that he just came and, and rattled off some great messages that we all get to study. You're saved because he shed his blood for you. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We're all still messed up with no possibility of getting into heaven without the blood of Jesus. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice it's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the payment for the penalty of your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the appeasement of his wrath against your sin, my, my sin. Romans chapter three says, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, you see. Now, um, what I'm talking about here is crystal clear. The, 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 the Bible has made this so crystal clear, it's unbelievable. Now, there are churches out there, pastors out there, that convolute this. But the scriptures are, are just crystal clear. Your, your salvation, beloved, came at a huge price, the bloody, stained body of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, for God made Christ, that's Jesus, who never sinned. He lived a perfect, holy, righteous life. That's what the bread's gonna represent. 
to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's how we're made right with God. It's through what Jesus accomplished with his bloody, stained up, beaten to a pulp body on a cross. That's how the relationship is made right again, is by receiving his son. Now, I don't fully comprehend all this means. I, I want to be straight up with you. I know there's some guys that will tell you, oh, I get it. I, I don't get it all. I don't. I, I don't understand it. I just rejoice in how deeply the Father loved me. I rejoice in that, though I don't understand it all. And he proved how, how much he loved me when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for me. That's where I go, man, there's no doubt in my mind that the God who created it all, who created me in his very image, loves me. There's no, I, I never question that, never that he would send Jesus to die for me? That's unbelievable. <laughs> I know me. The planet would probably be you know, a better place without me running around on it, trust me. But he came for me. Crazy, this is crazy. N n n number two, number two. And we're gonna remember all that, like I said, in just a moment when we take com communion. The Father made his wisdom and understanding available to, to you. Verse 8 says he has showered his kindness on, on us. Obviously, he showered his kindness on us. He sent his son. Man, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty kind act, isn't it? But then he says, along with all wisdom and understanding. Beloved, here's the deal. When you invited Jesus Christ into your life, a lot of really cool things happened, right? Your sins were, were forgiven, you know, that's the big one. Your name was, was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you know, that's big. You became a part of God's family, and, and the list goes on and on and on. But, but there's one thing that a lot of Christians miss or don't understand when they become a Christian, and that's this. At the very moment you invited Jesus Christ into your life, you immediately had access to God's wisdom and insight. You see, while we're down here on planet Earth, God does, you know, doesn't leave us down here you know, as one of his children in some spiritual or moral or mental vacuum where we gotta somehow figure out everything on our own. He showers his wisdom on us. He, he showers his insights according to his riches on us. Yes, you're, you're saved. Yes, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yes, you were adopted. There's all these great truths, but you also need to understand that he just doesn't say, well, now that you're saved and you're my kid and you're adopted and I love you, you know, go for it, gut it out, try to figure out life. No. My, one, of, one of my great roles as a parent is to help my children understand some things about life. Well, God's no different. He's given, us, he's given us his wisdom. He's made his wisdom, his insight, his, his understanding available to, to all of us. The Bible says in James chapter 1, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for, for asking. And what exactly is wisdom? Well, let me, let me, let me tell you what it isn't. Wisdom isn't knowledge. Okay, we're in a knowledge explosion in our world today. There's lots of information out there that 
you know, you can literally access in a nanosecond on, on your computer. But just because you have a bunch of knowledge doesn't mean you're wise. It just means that you have a lot of knowledge. In fact, I know a lot of people that have big-time degrees. They're, they're super knowledgeable, but, but they're as dumb as posts. I, and I, don't, I, I wrote it in here. I was trying to figure out something else. But they're just dumb. You know what I'm saying? Just watch any talk show. All kinds of people with all kinds of great degrees. And you just go, how'd that guy get on there? That guy's as dumb as a post. Huh. Wisdom isn't having a high IQ. Once again, I personally know some people that have off the charts IQ, you know, yet they've made some of the dumbest decisions you could ma- imagine. So wisdom really has nothing to do with IQ or intellect or whatever. Wisdom isn't having common sense. In fact, that's a term that I, I don't even know really exists anymore. This idea that we all have in common, you know, some things that we hold to be true, some values that we believe are true. You might have that within your home, some common sense within your little unit. But we as a society don't have anything, any common sense. There's nothing in common. So what is it? Well, let me give you a definition I I heard that I thought was really good, okay? Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. It's seeing life from God's perspective, but it's also then responding to life from God's perspective. And I tried to kind of put it in a sentence I think we could all get. And and some of you are thinking, well, uh, I don't get it. That didn't make any sense to me. Well, that's the best I could do. Okay, now, here's the important thing. Because of sin, we as humans don't naturally see and respond to life from God's perspective. That doesn't come natural to us. We don't see life, our families. We don't see that we don't respond to life from God's perspective because of our, our, our sin. It doesn't come natural to us, but it is a skill that you can develop The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. This tends to be how most people operate, including really too many Christians. They make decisions, sometimes weighty decisions, concerning their lives or their families or whatever based on what seems right. Instead of gathering wisdom, God's wisdom, seeing and responding to life from God's viewpoint. Unfortunately, I understand the lost, you know, going, well, it just just seems right, I'm gonna do it. I I get that. Not a believer, not a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ has access to God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's uh, insights, and God wants his followers to see life from his viewpoint, have a, have a biblical worldview, and then not only have that worldview, but then take action on that and live that way. So how do you get wisdom and understanding? I'm gonna rant, run through some of these, okay? You get wisdom when you read the word of God. You get wisdom when you study the word of God. You get wisdom when you memorize the word of God. You get wisdom when you meditate on the word of God. And I wanted you to write all those words down. 
When you read, when you study, when you memorize, when you meditate on the Word of God. Beloved, if you really think about it, there's only two places to get wisdom. There's only two sources. The, the Word, okay, or the world. Th those are basically the two sources. You're going to get your insights on life from one of those two places. The, the Word, which is what God has to say, or the world, which is you know, most of the time just diametrically opposed to what God says. Now, I want you to look up on the jumbo of trons and I want you to look at these seven words, okay? See them? Television, newspaper, magazine, radio, blogs, the internet, movies, the Bible. You see those words up there, seven, eight words? That's what I want you to do. I want you to lock on to the one that you believe will tell you the truth. Just, just, I'm going to give you a second, okay? Just look at those words up there. Now, now, some of them might give you some truth sometimes. Some of them may never give you the truth. I don't know. I, I just want you to lock on. I'm serious. Lock on to the word, the thing up there that you believe will tell you the truth. The one that will give you the, that you believe will give you the best advice or wisdom or whatever. The one that you can really trust. Okay? Now I want you to lock on to the one that you spend the most amount of time watching or reading or listening to. Well, that's a different question. I know what 99999% of you locked on to. I know what word it was, but it's the second question is the one that's going to kind of shake things up in your life, hopefully. You know, believer, which one of those is going to tell you the truth 100% of the time. But which one do you invest most of your time, you know, engaged in? Beloved, why do we spend so much time watching TV or reading or listening to stuff that we know we can't trust or believe in? Why do we do that? It just doesn't make any sense. For some of you, you need to make a commitment that God's word will take a greater role in your daily life. That might be the commitment some of you need to make. God, the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna talk about the Holy Spirit next weekend if God doesn't come back, just spoke to some of you. It's one of the signs that you're a believer. It's not that you said a prayer, as great as a prayer is. What, the sign that you're a believer is that, ooh, something just happened within you. That's the Holy Spirit. Who's saying, boy, you gotta, you gotta spend time in my, in my word, you see. Beloved, if you wanna be wise, you gotta get into the Bible, but it doesn't end there. It takes more than simply reading, studying, or memorizing, or meditating on the Bible. I, I know a lot of people that are walking encyclopedias of Bible knowledge. They read it, they study it, they memorize it, they can quote scripture on any topic, but they're basically nuts. I'm not kidding. They're, they're just, I don't even like being around them. I'm afraid that people are gonna think that, that I'm like them. The religious leaders knew the word of God like the back of their hand. In fact, most of them probably had it memorized. And the religious leaders were the ones that Jesus had the most problems with. This brings me to number two, the second way you, you, you get wisdom. 
You get wisdom when you actually do what the Bible says. Proverbs 7 says, follow my advice, son. Always, you know, treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. The Bible basically is worthless if all you do is simply read it. Now, reading it is way better than not reading it, okay? It's better than a sharp poke in the eye. I get it. But for it to really have any impact on your life, you actually have to do what it says. You have to uh, apply it to your life. That's what really matters. Solomon says, follow my advice, obey my commands. Let, 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 let me tell you why there are so many Christians in the world today that are just kind of messed up. They got messed up marriages, they got messed up families, they got messed up finances. Beloved, it's not because God didn't give them wisdom. God gave them wisdom. The issue was they chose not to do it. See? They had all the wisdom. They probably read it. They may have memorized it. They may have meditated on it. The problem isn't that God didn't give them any wisdom. The problem is, is that they never took that wisdom and then responded to it. Look, here's the deal. Yes, God wants you to read his word. Yes, God wants you to study his word. Yes, you need to memorize the word. Yes, you gotta meditate on the word. But then you gotta go out and actually do what it says. That, that's how you really become wise. The Bible says this in James chapter one, but don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. <laughs> Beloved, if, you want to know the, the secret to an effective life in one sentence? Th th this is it. You got to write this down. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I put it on the jumbotrons. Do what the Word of God says. You want to, in one sentence, you want to live a significant life, a meaningful life, uh, an effective life. One sentence. Do what the Bible says. That'd be a great seminar. How to be, how to have an effective life, a meaningful life, a significant life, a life full of purpose. Do what the Bible says. Do it. You see, a lot of Christians are simply deceiving themselves. They, they come to church and hear you know, a good message and they go to their small group and hear a bunch of good stuff and they go to men's ministry and hear some good stuff and they go to women's ministry, hear some good stuff and then they listen to a blog and, 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 you know, from a Christian guy and then they go home and listen to all these great pre preachers that are out there and, and because they're not committed to doing what it says, it basically goes in one ear and out the other. Now, the next one's the key, and for some of you, it needs to be your first step. Number three, the third way you get wisdom, okay, is you gotta surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter one says, knowledge begins with respect for the Lord, but fools hate wisdom and discipline. The Living Bible says, how does a person become wise? The first step is to trust and revere the Lord. Listen, it's, it's foolish to think that somehow you can navigate life without surrendering your life over to the very one that created life. You see, you were uniquely created by God for a purpose, for a reason, so it's totally ridiculous to try to live your life apart from you know, the one who, who created you. 
Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, I want you to look at that word fear just real quick. What does it mean? Does it mean that you're supposed to be afraid of God? I mean, I thought God loved me, Pastor Rick. You said it's one of the great things that God did. He loved me. Yeah, he, he does love you. And no, God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. The word fear there simply means to, to take God seriously. God's not your big brother or your buddy or your co-pilot or your co-anything. He's God. He's the creator, and you need to take him seriously. Let me ask you, why do people make foolish financial decisions? Because they don't take God seriously. Oh, that's really great, God. Uh, uh, yeah, I see what your word says, but I'm not going to do that. Why do... People walk into marriages that are doomed from the start because they don't take God seriously. Why do people buy things they don't need with money they don't have? Not because God didn't weigh in on it, it's because they don't take them seriously. Yeah, that's a neat little verse. Those are neat little, in fact, those 80 verses there are really great, but I'm not gonna do them. I'm not gonna take God seriously. I'm gonna do my own thing. Why do people have affairs and think that it somehow, you know, won't matter? <laughs> because they don't take God's word seriously. Why do people fail to prepare for death when they know it's in inevitable? Because they don't take God seriously. Why do people blow off accepting Jesus Christ into their lives? Because they don't take God seriously. They don't fear God. They don't believe in him. Love, the reason people do stupid things is because they don't fear the Lord. They don't take God seriously, which ultimately means they lack wisdom. Because wisdom begins when you fear the Lord, when you take him seriously. Because he is wisdom. <laughs> so the starting point in becoming wise is to surrender your, your life over to God, trust in him, and, and, and take him seriously. Which brings me to the last biblical truth that I'm going to share with you. Okay, n number three, and then we're going to enjoy a moment of communion together. Number three, the Father revealed to you the mysteries of his will. He says in verse nine, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this and this is the plan. At the right time, he, God, will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Now, I don't have uh, time to unpack all this, which bums me out. Um, because this is really fantastic. Not that the other stuff wasn't. But this is just really fantastic. But uh, let me say a couple, couple of things. The word mystery is a word that literally means a secret that's now been revealed. Okay? You see, God didn't tell the people in the Old Testament his entire plan. There were some things that, that God kept them in the dark on, but now God has decided to reveal these secrets to us. Okay? Uh, Abraham didn't know these secrets. He didn't know this mystery. Moses didn't have the privilege of knowing this mystery. Daniel didn't have the privilege of knowing this mystery. The, the great prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, I don't know, Jeremiah, they didn't know it either. But God has let you and I in on it. And what exactly is this mystery? Well, I'm going to give it to you in, in one word. 
And there are many mysteries that are kind of linked together. I'm going to give you the mystery in one word. Ready? Jesus. Jesus. The people in the Old Testament, they didn't know anything about Jesus. They knew God was going to send a Messiah. They knew God was going to send a Savior. They, they knew all that. But, but I, I, we don't know who it was going to be, and they certainly didn't necessarily think it was going to be God's Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Nobody knew that. Romans chapter 16 says this. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. Colossians chapter one says this message is the secret that was hidden from everyone since the beginning of time, but now has been made known to God's holy people. God decided to let his people know this rich and glorious secret which he has for all people. This secret is Christ himself who is in you. He is our only hope for glory. Beloved, ever since Genesis chapter three, sin has been tearing everything apart. You can see it in the Garden of Eden. You can see it in the days of Noah. You can see it at the Tower of Babel. You can see it in the children of Israel. You can see it in your own life. You can see it in your own family. Sin has been tearing everything apart until Jesus came. And ever since Jesus came, everything's been different. He came to set people free. And there's coming a day when everything will be made right again. And it's all because of Jesus. All because of him. Now here's the deal. I think the, the verse that best sums up this mystery is found in Philippians chapter two. The Bible says that there's coming a day, I don't know when that day will be, where every knee shall bow And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It's coming. Beloved, this is the truth. Now, I've already done it. I've already confessed that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I've already confessed that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I've already confessed my need for him in my life. I've already confessed my sin to him. I've already confessed that my sin has messed up everything and I needed him in my life. I needed his blood to cleanse me from my sin. I've already confessed that. Most of you have also. But some of you haven't. Some of you don't believe in him. So you haven't confessed him as Lord or anything like that. Which means in just a moment when these little things go by, it'd be weird for you to hold a piece of bread and a cup that was all about remembering Jesus, and you don't even believe in him. Communion's one of these weighty things that we as believers do to remember Jesus. But the Bible clearly teaches that there's coming a day when, when you will, you may not believe in him now, but there's coming a day when you will confess. You will. You'll be on your knees before Jesus Christ and you will confess. You'll either do it now while you're alive on planet Earth or you'll do it the moment you take your last breath. It's coming. 
That's the way God planned this whole thing. The great mystery was that Christ was going to come and that everything would be put under him. And that everybody at some moment was going to get on their knees and confess him as Lord and Savior. It's coming. Now, if you do it now, you you make Jesus the Lord of your life now, while you're alive, it's a good thing. Your sins will be forgiven and you get to go to heaven when you die kind of a thing. But if you die having never confessed Jesus as Lord, it's not a good thing. You'll confess him as Lord. But it'll be too late to have your sins forgiven and thus enter heaven. See, if I had to wrap the, the mystery up in a verse, it's that. That everybody at some moment is going to look at God's Son, His holy and righteous Son, and say, I confess, you are the Son of God. And you either do it now, or you're going to do it after you die. Everybody's going to do it. The Father didn't send his only son here, perfect holy son, to shed his blood and not have everything, everybody come under his authority. It's going to happen. The issue is is when. And communion is a time for us, guys like me who have confessed it now, to remember his, his life and his death, his burial, his resurrection, his soon coming, See, it's time for us to remember that. And we need to remember that. Life can get so busy, hectic, we're doing all kinds. We forget about this incredible God who sent his son for us. Here's the deal. I'm going to ask our worship guys to come on up here, and and we're going to sing a song. This is all going to be passed, and I want you to hang on to it, okay? Um. Because I want us to, to remember Jesus together. But maybe there's somebody here and you're going, man, I, I, wow, I get it. I think I get it. I understand this whole thing. God has opened my eyes to a truth. I've never invited Jesus Christ in my, my life. I, I, I really didn't believe in him. I, I've never confessed him as Lord and Savior. I need him in my life. And it would be crummy for me not to give you a, a chance to do that. So I just want everybody to close their eyes for a second, okay? Just close your eyes. And if you're here and, man, you want to know Christ as your Savior, you want to confess Christ as your Savior, you recognize your sin, you know you're sinful, you know you screwed up, you know, you know, you know. And you want to make sure that, that when you do die, you'd spend your eternity in a perfect place because the blood of Christ will have made you perfect in God's eyes. All you need to do right now is in the quietness of this moment, just say in your heart, Lord, I I confess you. Jesus, I confess you. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You're God's Son, and I invite you into my life. I want you in my life. Now, while your heads are bowed and all that kind of stuff, look, if you meant that prayer, you really meant that, And the Bible says God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He comes into your life. And I'm going to talk about that next week. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into your life. And a lot of amazing things happened at at, at this very moment. 
If you're out there and you just pray, you invited Christ into your life, just raise your hand that I can see it. Just anybody? Yeah, in the back? Yeah, right here. Make, make sure I see it. You can raise your head and look at me too. Yeah, right here. I got you, man. Cool. Anybody else? Four or five? Eight? Yeah, right there. Cool. Yeah, I got you already. Well, here's the deal while your heads are bowed. Those of you that raised your hands, you, you can take communion tonight. You hold that bread. You hold that little uh, you know, cup. You may not understand it all. That's okay. You, you, you enjoy communion. Father, thank you for this moment where we get to enjoy remembering you through this special thing called communion, God. And um, I look forward to just singing this song together and then coming back up and all taking communion together, Lord. So bless us this time, and I pray this in your name. Amen.